Well, good morning today, and then next week, this is our plan, that we will finish up our series entitled Follow in His Steps. So we started this at the beginning of January, and this is kind of our month-long pursuit to follow in the steps of Jesus. Hopefully this would launch us for an entire year, for the rest of our lives, that we would spend our days following Jesus. And as we do this, we realize that this is a life of faith. We say, Jesus, we're going to follow you, but this is we're not sure exactly where this is going this next week. We're not sure where it's going this year. But by faith, we believe that your steps are the ones to follow. They are the steps of life. And we also know that besides this being a, a life of faith, it is a life empowered by God. This isn't something where we just muster up some strength here and say, okay, I think we can do it now. It's like we just come here on Sundays and say, God, we can't do it. Would you empower us? And so uh, that's why we're here today, and I'm glad that you're a part of this. A couple of questions I want us to consider as we have been the last few weeks. One is this, how can I make my life count? We want to live a purposeful life, a meaningful life for today and this next week and for the rest of our life. And frankly, we want it to have deposits into eternity. So we're asking this question, how do I make my life count? Secondly, we're asking this question, what is God calling each of us to? What is God calling each of us to? He's calling us individually, but he's calling us as a church, and he says, ultimately, follow me. Jesus says, follow my steps. You see, many of us in this room, we said, Jesus, yes, you're my Savior, and I want forgiveness, and I want heaven, and I want all of that. And he says, great, I'll give it to you freely. He says, but I also want you to know I'm your Lord and Master, not just your Savior. And so when I say come and follow me, I expect you to come and follow me. And so we are exploring that. What is God calling us to? So I hope you have your Bible with you today. I want to show you a fascinating passage in the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. So grab out your Bibles or your tablets or your phone or whatever that is. John chapter 12. Or in the Bible in front of you, we're going to be on page 898, 898. While you're turning there, this idea where we get following his steps, where do we get this from? We get this from St. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, one of those initial disciples. He writes a letter, 1 Peter, and then we see these words in chapter 2, verse 21. Let's look at them here on the screen. And would you, like we did last week, enthusiastically read them with me? Ready? Begin. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That you might follow in his steps. Peter says, I watched Jesus and I watched him get crucified. And I want you to know he suffered for you. He, he was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit so that he would bring you to God. He did this for you. And he did this so that you would... Follow in his steps, that you'd follow in his steps. So in the last few weeks, we've looked at this. If you're taking notes, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm called to a life of suffering. Called to a life of suffering. And when you first heard that, you went, oh, really? Yeah. Called to a life of suffering. Doesn't mean that life is supposed to be miserable. Doesn't mean that we're supposed to have bad attitudes about it. It's just this is a part of life. Peter wrote this to people who were facing religious persecution. We're getting ready for elections and having debates and things like this. And the people that are the most God-honoring are the ones that aren't the highest in the polls. I'm not sure what that's saying for our country down the road. But we may be facing religious persecution. We may face some suffering like this. 
And Peter writes this, and Jesus faced it, and the idea is that you are to expect suffering, and you are to allow this suffering to grow your faith in Jesus. And you are to ask God, would you do growth in me? And what he will do is he will produce joy in you. He will produce patience in you. He will produce faithfulness in you if you embrace that suffering. Not numb it, not escape it, but if you would lean into that. Two weeks ago, we looked at that we are called to a life of sacrifice. We're called to a life of sacrifice. You and I are called to sacrifice everything to God. In view of his mercy towards us, you are called to sacrifice all. That's not just a little bit of your paycheck or a little bit of your time or a little bit of your energy or whenever you feel like it. But you and I are called as Jesus followers to offer everything back to God in view of his mercy toward us. Sometimes we think, you know what, I'm going to do this maybe and pay God off. I'll sacrifice, give a little extra money, give a little extra time, do this, and maybe I can pay him off. And we talked about you cannot pay God off. Jesus paid it all. All you can do is live a grateful life and sacrifice back to him. What God really wants out of you is not so much your sacrifice, but your obedience. That you would say, God, here I am. Send me. Do whatever you want. Last week, then, we looked at the discipline of contentment. Contentment. We asked this question, is Jesus enough for you? We sang a song a few moments ago, Christ is enough for me. And that's really our faith statement, that yes, Jesus, you are enough. And yet, if we sat down and asked each other, we'd say, even there were times this last week where we didn't believe that. We thought, you know what, money's going to fix it, or time alone in front of the TV's going to fix it, or something, but... This is our faith statement that Jesus, yes, you are enough. And so when we're told, keep your lives free from the love of money, the reason behind that is because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, I'm with you. God's saying, I'm enough. And I hope you come to this realization, I am enough. My presence in your life is enough for you. Well, today I want to look at one more discipline, and it is this, that I am called to a life of selflessness. Called to a life of selflessness. I want us to consider this idea today. Now when I think about our church, I think one of our strengths is serving. And why we serve in our community, in our church, and through in different aspects. Why we do this, I believe, comes from this selflessness. Saying it's not about me, it's about something bigger. And we do, we serve because of this discipline, I believe. And so today as we look at this, I hope that this is challenging to some of you. I hope that this is confirming to some of you. Let me define selflessness if I could. I've got three quick statements to define selflessness. One, seeking God's glory above mine. Seeking God's glory above mine. This is selflessness. Secondly, putting others' needs before mine. Putting others' needs before mine. And then thirdly, living for Jesus, not for myself. Living for Jesus and not for myself. I'll get back to those here in a minute. But when we look at this idea, following in the steps of Jesus, we see that Jesus was very selfless. Jesus lived for the glory of the Father. Jesus lived to provide for the needs of others. He wasn't just looking after his own. And so we are called to this same life. Problem with that is... We're selfish people, aren't we? We're self-centered people. As I said, first service, this is just a recovery group for self-centeredness, right? Where we get together and say, hi, my name's Scott. I'm a self-centered person. 
I need the grace of God because this is who I am. And this is part of our problem. We want what we want when we want it, right? And we live in a society where if you want it, you could have it now. Put it on a credit card, get it through Amazon. It's delivered to your doorstep in a day. If you want something, you just want it, you get it. Why then we have massive debt and things like this? Because we've become self-centered and we want certain things when we want it and we go and get them. And this story, I mean, this isn't a new problem. This is really part of our history, isn't it? You go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we talked about this last week with Adam and Eve not being content in the garden. Adam and Eve, they said, we want what we want when we want it. And I know all of this is good around me, God, but I want that tree right there. I want some of that fruit. I want it right now. They went for it, being selfish people. Now we are all infused with this disease of selfishness. And although selfishness is as old as Adam and Eve in the garden, there are certainly new ways to feed our self-centeredness, aren't there? Let me talk about this. Phones. Let's talk about our phones we got these phones nowadays that have cameras on them. This hasn't always been the case. Growing up, we had, I think, two phones in the house, had a cord to it. I mean, you could maybe get a little bit across the room, but, and that, if you want to take a picture, you'd go grab the camera. Now, we got them together. What does this do to us? Well, now we can constantly take selfies, Right? I mean, we're, we're selfie freaks. And I, I look at that and I think it just feeds our self-centeredness. And what's happening is that now it seems like everybody is taking selfies. Everybody's doing it, right? I mean, man, I look good. And here I am. Look where I'm at and look what I'm eating. And we're all doing this. And we do it all the time, all, everywhere. Maybe even when we shouldn't. But some of this is part of our self-centeredness. We just want to pose, hey, guess everybody what I'm doing. I'm so important. Look at me. We're a little selfish. We're a little selfish. And then we post that on social media and things like that. I was looking in the dictionary at the word selfie. I couldn't find it. My dictionary from when I was a kid, it does not have selfie in it. So I have even tried, well, what about when I got married 20 years ago? Is it in that dictionary? No, it's not. This is a new word. This is just something new to feed our self-centeredness that has cropped up. Always there will be things like this to just promote, man, I am so important. I want everybody to see it. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I'm going to unfriend Scott right now as we speak. I don't want him looking at all my posts on Facebook. You know, you know I don't judge you too much. <laughs> uh, But it's bigger than this, isn't it? It's bigger than just taking selfies and things like that. You see, the life of Jesus was marked with selflessness. Do you think if Jesus had a phone with a camera, he'd take pictures of himself? I think he would once in a while. He'd be like, dude, me and the disciples, we went up to Caesarea Philippi today. You know, put that out there and you can read about that story. But anyway, I think he'd do that, but he was certainly selfless, not self-centered as we struggle with. John chapter 12. I want to read some of this passage to you today. Read a story in the life of Jesus and some of his own words. So if you'd follow along, John chapter 12. We're going to be at verse 20, and let me just catch you up to where we're at here. This is early in the Passion Week, which means that he's going to be crucified on Friday. He knows this is coming. 
And people are, uh, the Jews are just uh, forming into Jerusalem for this massive feast called the Passover. Write this down if you would. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. If you don't know the story of the Passover, I would just ask you to read this one chapter this week. This is a story of, I won't give it all away, but it's a story of God's rescue of his people when they were down in Egypt. And they're about ready to exit the land. Exodus chapter 12. Well, they get together every year and they celebrate this. And they're doing that again. And they're getting ready to celebrate this. And so all the Jewish people gather together in Jerusalem for this big day. Whew, where am I now? All right, John chapter 12, verse 20. Let's get there. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This is slightly interesting because this isn't their story. This isn't their history. This is a Jewish thing. But some of the Greeks, they say, you know what, I know this isn't our story and this isn't about our nation. This isn't about our people. But there's something with this Jesus. For three years we've heard that he is something other than an average man. He's not just your ordinary teacher. And they too are gathering. Verse 20. So now those that went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, north of Jerusalem, and asked him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. I don't know why all that happened. And Jesus answered them, not maybe how you'd expect. He says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, to be praised, to be exalted. Something's going to happen. This is my grand stage. We'll talk about this in a minute. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 25, whoever loves his life and loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. We'll talk about that. If anyone serves, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then Jesus says this in verse 27, knowing that the crucifixion is taking place coming up. He knows that he's going to be tortured by the Romans. It's going to be just this horrific death. He knows that. He also knows to some degree that he's going to take on the sins of the world. I can't explain what that would be like. I could explain a crucifixion, but I can't explain taking on the sins of the world. Jesus says this in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, he prays, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. The voice of God was like, what was that, thunder? Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan he's talking about. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Being lifted up, being crucified. So, verse 34, so the crowd answered him, wait a second. We've heard from the law that the Christ or the Messiah remains forever. How can you say then that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up? We heard that the Son of Man is going to reign forever. He shall reign forever and ever. You know, they knew this prophecy. 
The Messiah is going to reign forever. You say you're going to die here coming up? What's going on here? Is Jesus talking about his physical body? He's like, no, no, no. This is going to die. But yes, I will reign forever. Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Let me stop there for a second. Go back and ask those questions. How, how do I make my life count? How do I make my life count? And Jesus, I believe, in this passage is telling us and showing us it is through selfless living. I'm going to show you how to make your life count, he says, and it is through this selfless living. So then we start asking God, well, then what are you calling me to? He says, I'm calling you to follow calling you to be a disciple. I'm calling you to pursue these disciplines. If we ask what disciplines does it take to follow Jesus, you'd say, well, read a lot, read the Bible and pray a lot and show up at church and things like that. Certainly those are some of the disciplines. Though in Jesus' day, there were people who prayed a lot and knew the Scripture better than anyone else. They showed up to the synagogue all the time. And Jesus actually said, you are so disciplined, but I want you to know this. Your heart is far from me. You don't know God. And so it's not just about discipline. So when Jesus says, follow me, it's not just about if I pursue these things, if I mark off certain things, then I'm good. I mark off some certain things. I read our bread project, and when I read it, I cross that off so I know where I'm at. Okay, But I could mark all those off and not have an experience with God, right? So the disciplines are... Somewhat important. We're commanded, train yourself to be godly. They have value, but if we just go through the motions without our heart, we could miss God. So what is God calling us to? He's calling us to follow. Follow with your heart. Follow with your mind. Follow with your discipline. Follow with your brokenness. Just follow me. Now, as I look at those, let me define selflessness again and describe these a bit. I said this about selflessness, is that it's seeking God's glory above mine. Seeking God's glory above mine. Let me define that, if I could, with a couple passages. Because throughout the New Testament, you will read this, that everything we are to do is for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Here's one. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to know, whatever you do, do this for the glory and the praise of God. Eat, drink, whatever you do, just give thanks and do this. Uh, God, you've given me life and I'm going to enjoy the things you've given me. Do this all that God would receive praise. There's another passage in 1 Peter 4, 11. It says this, whoever serves... Serve by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. See, you're going to serve. Where do you get that strength? You get it from God. That, all of that, you just praise back to God and say, God, thank you for giving me strength that I got to do this. This week, uh, I think it was yesterday, I was on my Instagram account. All right, I'm trying to be real cool and uh, have an Instagram account. And I look at this and it says, these are some people that you could follow. And it has this name, Mike Silva. I don't know how, you know, maybe there's some connections there. Mike Silva. Now, Mike Silva is one of our global ministry partners. He goes around and has these big crusades uh, around the world telling people about Jesus. It says, Mike Silva, but his code name is 1Pete411. And when I saw it, I went, hey, we're going to show that verse at church Sunday. 
I think this is maybe his life verse or something, but he says, listen, if I'm going to serve, I'm going to serve with the strength that that God provides. Why? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. If you want to live a selfless life, part of that mentality is that everything I do is for God's glory, that God would be praised. Everything I do is for God's glory. And all of a sudden you can say, I can do this and I can do this because God strengthens me and it's for His glory. Another part of that definition was putting others' needs before mine. Putting other needs before mine. Let me share some passages uh, that you can write down regarding this. Philippians 2, verse 3. Philippians 2, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You see, you can live a selfless life by putting others before you. Say, you know what? I will listen to that person. They're more important than me. I can serve that person. I can help that person because I see them as more significant than me. And this is what selflessness is. It's seeing other people's needs and putting them before yours. Look at Romans chapter 15, verse 2. Romans 15, verse 2. It says this, Let each of us please who? His neighbor for his good to build him up. This is part of selfless living, looking and say, how can I serve you? How can I bless you? This is selfless living. And isn't that a great picture of what Jesus did, how he lived? He considered us. He said, I want to please you. I want to bless you. I'm willing to go to the cross and take on the sins of the world for your sake, for your sake. Last part of that definition is living for Jesus, not for myself. Living for Jesus, not myself. Let me show you a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Apostle Paul says, I want you to know he died for all. He died for you. That those who live may no longer live for themselves. See, that's the point. No longer living for yourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is what Jesus did. He died for your sake. You now that you have said, Jesus, I need you. He says, I've given you forgiveness. I've included you into my family. It's not, okay, great. I'm in heaven one day. Now I just want to do everything I want. He says, wait a second. You gave me my li- your life. We belong to him. We live for him. This is part of selfless living. Let me give you a couple exercises to help you understand this this week, if you could. All right? Consider these. Maybe write these down. First one is this. When you join in on a conversation this week, when you join in on a conversation this week, examine your heart. Examine your heart. When you start talking to somebody, examine your heart. What's going to happen is you're going to find out in the course of this conversation that you want to talk about yourself. Right? You're going to find in the course of this conversation, as they're telling you a story, you want to tell a better story, right? I'm just going to ask you to examine your heart when you're in conversations with people this week. Because when you're in these conversations this week, you will want to talk about yourself. You will want glory. You will want recognition. You'll want to somehow make it about you that they say, man, you're incredible. We just do that. You'll want to put your needs first. You'll say, you know what? Let me tell you what happened to me. All right? Just watch this when it happens in a conversation. Examine your own heart. You'll end up finding out, man, I am really selfish. I'm I'm kind of living for myself. I want people to talk about me. And if they don't, I talk about me. You're saying, how do do you know that that's going to happen? Because I'm a very self-centered person. And when I engage in conversations with you, and maybe I ask, how are you doing? Before long, I just start talking about myself. 
I've been watching this for weeks, for weeks. I wrote a note and said, talk to the people about this because I've been watching my own heart. I can't stop talking about me. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm an ego freak. All right. Yesterday I was at lunch and I'm like, here I am. I'm talking about me again. I'm like, Lord, help me to be selfless. Help me to listen. Help me to look for their needs. Help me to bless them. But I just keep wanting, let's talk about me. So one, as you join conversations this week, examine your heart. Secondly, as you join conversations this week, listen to others struggle with this, okay? All right? Listen to others struggle with this. Now, don't judge them, all right? Don't judge them, but just listen to them struggle with it. It'll happen at school. It'll happen at work. It'll happen at home. It'll happen with people who've heard this exact message today. And you'll start talking, and they'll just start talking about themselves. And you'll go, egomaniac. Now, don't judge them, because you are too, all right? And you're growing in this. But here's part of our problem, that we are not selfless. We're, we're selfish. We want praise. We want glory. And if selflessness is giving glory to God, say, God, the only thing that I have good in my life is that you love me, and you're, you're changing me, and you're growing me. God, I, I want to bless others, and, and so help me to do that. So just... Watch what happens as you enter those conversations this week. I saw this cartoon this week. Let me show you this. One guy saying, me, 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 me. But enough about me. And the other person, phew, finally. What do you think about me? Let's talk about you. What do you think about me? All right. Isn't that kind of us? A lot of selfishness in us. And one of the disciplines of following Jesus is living for the glory of God, living for the needs of others, living for Jesus. He's put you in those conversations to build others up, to listen, to care for. I know some of you are going, I'm just not going to talk this week, especially around Scott. But that's not the point either. Not the point to stop talking. Just let's examine our hearts and say, God, change us, grow us. John chapter 12, go back here. Verse 21, verse 21. Sir, we wish to see Jesus, they said. So Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, to be glorified. That means this, that this is his time. This is his time that he's going to receive praise. This is his time he's going to be exalted. If there was ever a time for him, he says, My time's coming. Now, that's interesting because when our time is coming, whenever we get praised, it's like, well, that's when I get to be on the stage. That's when I get to say something on Facebook to everybody. That's when I get honored. That's, you know, it's my birthday and I get presents and things like that. But Jesus talks about his big moment of being glorified and praised as a cross is coming. And as I look at this, I thought this, Jesus and his followers, they receive glory differently than the world does. We receive glory differently than the world does. And this is, a, this is a statement of faith as well. Because someone pursuing Jesus says, I don't need all the praise now. There's a day coming when God will reward me for all the things unseen. My audience is not this group. My audience is not even here on this earth. My audience is God. I mean, sometimes after Sundays you say, good job, Scott, or, you know, that blessed me or something like that. You know, and I think, wow, that, that's nice. I appreciate that. But really, my audience is God. 
And the selfish part of me says, well, tell me more, please. <laughs> okay. But really, for Jesus and his followers, we find our glory, we receive glory differently than the world does. We as glory hogs would say, look at me now, look at me now, praise me now, tell me how great I am now. But a Jesus follower says in faith, I don't need all that right now. I just need honor from you. I won't look to the horizon to get praise. I'll look vertically and say, God, you give me praise and and that's enough. You're enough for me. We struggle with that, don't we? I know I do. Verse 24. Verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about here? Well, either he's doing horticulture 101 and teaching people before he dies all the last things. Man, I didn't teach him how to plant very well. Or What's he doing here? As I was looking at these words of what Jesus says here in verse 24, I was recalling something I did in my backyard last fall. I have some grassy area here, grassy area here. I don't have grassy area here. And I thought I just kind of want to make the whole thing grassy. So what I went and did is I went and bought a big bag of grass seed. And I took this grass seed, and it was beautiful grass seed. It was on a shelf, and it was a nice clean bag. And I took it off and said, I'm going to take you home with me. And I took this seed, and big bad mean me, I took the seed, and I put it in the dirt, and I buried it. I killed it. I mean, that seed looks so beautiful there in the store. And now it's under the ground. It's dead. Well, I knew enough that with a little bit of rain and a little bit of sun, a little bit of warmth of the ground, what's going to happen? The seed is going to bear fruit. I didn't use all of the seeds. Some of it I kept in the shed. Some of it's right here. All right? This almost looks like something illegal, but it's not. (laughs) This seed is beautiful. This seed has survived the elements all winter, never had freezing rain hit it. It's been tucked away in a nice clean bag in the shed, never experienced any dirt. And Jesus says something about this. He says, if you want to live a fruitful life, you're going to have to get a little dirty here. You're going to have to die. I want you to see this, that Jesus and his followers, they experience a fruitful life through the process of death to self. Death to self. You see, if this grass seed is to produce and do what it was meant to do, if this grass seed is going to produce a fruit where I'm going to have great barbecues and things like that, it has to die first, doesn't it? And it has to be buried. It has to experience death. Jesus is saying this about himself, and I believe he's saying this about his followers. He says, if you want to live a fruitful life, there's got to be death to self. He says, if I'm going to be the firstborn among all the dead, I've got to die first. I've got to raise from the dead. And then I will have children upon children upon children for generations. And I think he's saying the same to us. If you want to live a a fruitful life, a life that God means for you, you want to make your life count, then you have to die to self. There's a part of you that has to be buried. Write this passage down, if you would. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I probably quote this verse five times a year here. Galatians 2, 20. The Apostle Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ. There's part of me that died. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, though he's 
live while he's writing this. But he says, part of me died with Jesus. I no longer live, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, in following the steps of Jesus, in a selfless living, I have said, you know what? Death to me. He was a smart man, and he says, you know what? I don't need a claim for being smart. He used to be a great church attender. He says, you know what? I don't have any, need any acclaim for that. Here's my acclaim, that my life is now hidden with Christ. I am died with him. And out of that, he is producing a great life. You see, selfless living, fruitful living is going to involve death to your, your selfish ego, death to our self-willed desires, Death to a me-first mentality doesn't mean that it won't happen again. It keeps cropping up with me, but I keep saying, God, it is not about me. It is about you. It is about your people. It is about following Jesus. I confess again, I'm selfish today. I was selfish right there. He goes, I know. You keep dying to yourself, and I will produce my life in you. It takes faith to do that. But it's the power of God that produces. Just like it's the power of God. I don't know how these seeds, you bury them and they start producing beautiful green grass. It's the same way in our hearts. He produces his life in us. See, for those of us who are Christians, we say things like, again, I want salvation. I want the forgiveness of sins. But I want my own life. I want my own life. I, I want to go to heaven, but I just I want to keep it clean. And I, and I don't want to get messy. And I don't, want to, I don't want to give up my will. Wait a second. You did when you said you needed Jesus. And if you're going to be fruitful, you pursue Jesus and let him grow you. If you're here today and you're exploring Jesus, I'd want you to say this. It's not just being good. It's not just showing up on Sundays. It's not memorizing some of the verses that I tell you to memorize. But it's just saying, Jesus, I need you. Change me. Change me. Plant me under the ground. Put death to my selfishness. And he says, I will start a new life in you. I will. Verse verse 25. Let's read a few more verses. Verse 25. So Jesus says these weird words, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's kind of a strange statement, weird. Some people look at that and say, okay, Jesus said, I have to hate my life to have eternal life. So some people beat themselves up, literally, figuratively. They hurt themselves. I just hate myself, hate myself, hate myself. Will you accept me, God? I don't think it's that. When he's talking about loving life, he's really saying, who are you committed to? What are you committed to? Let me say this, that Jesus and his followers, they commit their lives to God and to the life to come. Jesus' follower says, I commit my life to you, God, and to the life to come. And so what that means is I will love and I will commit myself to you. In terms of hatred, I will let go of my life. I'll let go. And if you want to take my life and if you want to bury it and you want to have me talk to my neighbor, talk to a coworker, you want me to go to Africa, I, what, I'm up for whatever you're up for, God. Because I'm committed to you and I'm letting go of me. Well, let's finish with this. Verse 26 and verse 27. Verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
This selflessness, in other words, leads to life and to glory. He says, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Again, let's ask the question we've asked the last three weeks as we're winding down today. How did this turn out for the Son of God? How did this selfless life turn out for Jesus? How did it? If I'm going to follow you, Jesus, I just want to have a clue. How did this turn out for you? And we know that at the end of the week from what he's saying here, he was crucified. You're like, man, I don't know if I want to sign up for that. that that's not the end of the story. They buried him. That's not the end of the story. The story is that on Sunday morning, they say he's not there. He appears over a period of 40 days to 500 people. He rises to the right hand of the throne of God. He's alive today. He's preparing us a place, and he is the king of kings and will be for all time. How did it turn out for him? Pretty good. How's it turn out for his followers? It may lead to a cross. Literally, figuratively. It'll lead to suffering at times. It'll lead to being buried at times. But how does it turn out? That's not the end of the story. How does it turn out? We become sons and daughters through faith in Jesus. We get to spend eternity with Him. It's going to be good. Selfless living, is it worth it? Oh, yeah. I remind myself, this... It's a life of faith. Jesus, I'm following you. Sometimes selfless living doesn't look... I should fight for myself, right, Jesus? And he goes, no, you don't need to. Jesus, I, I need to stand up for myself. Maybe in certain cases, but listen, you trust me. Let me grow you. And it turns out great for us as followers of Jesus. I know it takes faith to get there. It takes faith to get there. But it also takes the power of God, and he has promised that to us. Let me finish by just giving you a prayer of blessing. I want you to write it down. I I want this to be on your heart and mind. But this is my prayer and blessing for us all. As you follow Jesus, may he grow your faith. May he grow your faith to live selflessly. It takes faith to live this way. And may he, in this process, receive all the glory. You live a selfless life and you do this. Why? For his glory. You may not get noticed here. You're saying that's fine. He's noticing. It's for his glory. So my brothers and sisters, may you experience this faith to live selflessly. And may he receive all the glory. Would you bow your heads with me and consider this if you would? God, you know one thing about us in this room, that we all struggle with selfishness and self-centeredness. And and you are maturing us and you are growing us. We certainly aren't like we used to be because of your work in our life. But we want to live more and more selflessly like Jesus did. So would you give us faith to believe that this is the right way? Would you empower us to live this way? Because, God, people need to see our example. They need to see our life. And they need to praise and glorify you. Heavenly Father, help us. I stand up here as one of many that struggle with selfishness, 
with ego. And I thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. You know how we are formed. You know that we are dust. You are compassionate and gracious. And because of Jesus, you have forgiven our sins, even of selfishness. Help us by faith to continue to look to you. Grow us to be more and more selfless. That people would see us and give you the glory. So thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are growing us as we follow in the steps of Jesus. For it is in his name that we pray.